This evening, we're going to look at Mark chapter 14. So if you'd like to turn there. Mark 14, verse 27. 26. And before we um, look at that, I'm going to pray. So we're in Mark 14, verse 26. Let's pray. Gamanchua vi homnai chum conco co kerhoi dop loikungai. Vasinchua bite ho undian kungai chom chuse su cho chumkon. Thank you, Lord, that tonight we have the opportunity to hear your word. And we ask that you would show us your grace in Jesus Christ. Amen. So uh, it's Easter week. So I thought it'd be good for us to get our hearts and minds looking ahead and back to the cross of Christ and what he came to do for us. So the part of the, uh, this gospel story that we're going to read in Mark's gospel is the night that Jesus was betrayed to die. So Mark 14, verse 26. When they, that's Jesus and his 12 disciples, had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written... I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. 
The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. I'm going to stop there. You might have heard the phrase um, a messiah complex or savior complex. You heard that? Basically, a, a messiah complex is an underlying attitude where you think that you are the answer. You know, for, for other people and for yourself. I'm a gift. I have the answer. I am the answer. That's a savior complex. Now, I'm what people call a missionary. So having a savior complex is basically part of the job description for us. But it's poisonous. There was a 19-year-old lady from the U.S. who was sent to Uganda to work with malnourished children. And she um, started a ministry called Save His Children. And she raised money through her blog and social media and that kind of thing. And it's a really long and complicated story, but basically it went belly up. It went really, really wrong for her. But, but there's something really interesting. Uh, listen to an extract from her blog that she was writing at the time. Listen to how she talks about her work. I hooked up the baby to oxygen and got to work. Took a temperature, started an IV. Checked her blood sugar, tested for malaria, and looked at her HB count. I don't even know what an HB count is. I was attempting to diagnose the many problems that could potentially be at hand. Got it, malaria, positive, HB 3.2, a big problem, most likely fatal. She needed a blood transfusion, and fast. Now the thing is, she wasn't a doctor, okay? And later she admitted to writing these blog posts with, I did this, 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 rather than we. Because she was actually surrounded by Ugandan medical professionals the whole time. That's the savior complex where you have to substitute, we did this, but I did it. And we all want to be needed. We want to be the answer to the problems of those around us and the problems that we have. And it's not just missionaries who exaggerate the I to make ourselves sound indispensable. Whether it's um, taking a little bit more credit for that work project than we should, or maybe even this, in our relationship with Jesus, saying, I, a lot more than he, Jesus. I, rather than he can. But if we can spot this savior complex and fight it, there's real freedom to be found. Freedom for workers like me and other countries, Christians like us. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this drama. This, um, it helps to think of it like a little drama with three scenes. We're going to walk through it together. And as we see it, there's a whole host of different characters. Here they are on the screen. Here they all are. And there's a lot of savior complex dynamics going on with these different characters. And so as we go through the drama, just see what happens to the different people. So our story begins with... Jesus and the 12 disciples, they're his kind of closest followers. They've been with him the whole time. 
And they've just been uh, worshiping God together and eating a meal together, celebrating the Exodus, happy time. Then we get scene one, verse 27, uh, verse 26, where they go to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus drops this bombshell on them. You will all fall away. Now that's outrageous. They've been loyal to him all along. They've been on mission trips with Jesus Christ himself. They were the ones who handed out the bread and the fish to the 5,000 and the 4,000. They stood beside Jesus when the religious leaders were out to trick him. They had left everything to follow him. And at the moment when it counts, he tells them, you will all fall away. That means desert me. And if you're one of the disciples, surely you're thinking to yourself, well, no, I won't. <laughs> you know, if you've warned me, now I won't do it. It's like if I said to you, you're going to walk into a wall. You'd be like, no, I won't. <laughs> I just won't do it. And that's kind of Peter's logic in verse 29. Even if all fall away, I will not. These guys might, <laughs> not me. Now, we mustn't misjudge Peter here. It's not like he's being overconfident. He, he really does mean it. If you had Jesus in front of you and he said, you're going to desert me, you wouldn't go, yes, Jesus, you're right. I am going to desert you. But you know, the next bit, verse, verse 30, is really chilling. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered. Today, hold up. Yes, tonight, before the cock crows, Peter, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. And then all of them are like, no, Peter says, and they all say, we will die with you. We're not deserting you. But Jesus has said, this is what's going to happen. Before the night is even up, Peter, Peter, who if any of the disciples could have the title, second in command, is him. Before the night is up, you're going to deny you even knew me. Tonight, tonight. And by the time the night is up, Peter would have said these words. I don't even know the man. Couldn't even bring himself to say Jesus' name. So how's team Messiah going? <laughs> if this is the night when Jesus dies, whether the world is going to be saved, well, Peter at least is not going to be part of it. So, on to scene two. The drama moves on to a place called Gethsemane, verse 32. Only Jesus and three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, go further in to pray. So the other disciples, who just what? Their job is sit here. That's their job. They're not, they're not interested with much more than don't move. Okay. So they have to sit there. Peter, James, and John come with him. And then begins Jesus' agony. Verse 34. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. So the other guys, they just had to sit. These guys, they just have to stay awake and watch. Have you ever tried going through one of those um, electronic automated doors? You know, where you press it and it opens. 
but then it's like it's on close mode and you're trying to go through it and you've mistimed it and it's, it's kind of pushing you back. I don't know why doors have to be so aggressive, but it really bothers me. Jesus, so far, in, um, in this story, he's been heading towards the cross. You know, it's like, it's like Gethsemane is um, this door, and through the other side is, is the cross. And he comes to this moment, and he's been gliding, and he's been pushing forward, and it's just like, bam, he gets hit back. Something in the garden is pushing him back. And it's like it knocks him to the ground in prayer, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, so sad. It's like he's dying in the garden. I mean, so far, he's barely broken a sweat in the story. You know, storms, be still. Demons, get out. And here is something else. He falls to the ground in in prayer. Do you see that, 35? He fell to the ground. Have you ever seen any other point where Jesus has fallen to the ground as if he's been knocked over? What's going on? He sees with a kind of clarity the sin-bearing death he's about to experience. As true human He asks if there's another way, verse 35. He prayed, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So as this door, this hour is just pushing back on him to walk away now, Jesus, Yet not what I will, but what you will. He pushes through that door in radical obedience. Meanwhile, back to the special three, the cream of the apostolic crop, verse 37. You asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? And Jesus three times goes back to being knocked to the ground in prayer, fighting to do what he must do. And each time the disciples are Sleeping, eyes are heavy, resting. Think about it. If you were told tonight that a friend of yours was going to die, would you sleep? And yet here they are, verse 40. They did not know what to say to him. It's just indefensible. They, They don't even know what to say. So let's just summarize the Garden of Gethsemane scene. Most of these guys, their job was just to sit. Three of them, their job was to not sleep and pray, and they couldn't do that. Jesus' job, in a sense, was to decide in agony whether or not he was going to be the Messiah all the way to its bloody end. Enough, says Jesus. He's pushed through the door, verse 41. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus is coming out of the garden to the cross. He's going into the final scene tonight. Verse 3. 43, sorry. Uh, Verse 43. Just as he was speaking, just as he was saying, here comes my betrayer, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. 
Here comes Judas. You spot how he's described. Verse 43. One of the 12, the select group that had been with Jesus the whole time. Verse 44. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal. The betrayer. Feel that. And with a kiss that cloaks the proverbial knife in the back, Judas hands over his rabbi, his Messiah, to be arrested and given to what sounds like a small army. Verse 48, Jesus says to them, am I leading a rebellion? You've come out with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts. You didn't arrest me, but the scripture must be fulfilled. He's saying, What gave you the impression that you needed to come with violence to to take me away? Have I been leading a military coup? I've, I've been with you. I've just been teaching. But there's a kind of must that threads through this whole story, this whole drama. Scripture must be fulfilled. The Messiah must be the Messiah arrested and killed. Jesus doesn't fight. He doesn't resist. He doesn't slap them in the face in revenge. He'd already decided in the garden what he must do to fulfill what was written about him. And at that point, when the cuffs are being slapped onto Jesus' wrist to take him away, to die, verse 50, then everyone deserted him. Scene one, you will all fall away. No, we won't. Scene two, Jesus almost dies with distress at what must happen to him, and the disciples sleep. Scene three, Jesus is stabbed in the back by his friend, arrested, and everyone, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, and Simon, run for the hills. And then... There's this young man, this mysterious but pitiful character, who'd rather run away naked than be mistreated from Jesus. Everyone's gone. Everyone's gone. If you were to give this three-scene drama a title, it'd be this. Jesus alone. alone. Jesus alone. What happened? I mean, what happened to Jesus' disciples to go from being so close to being so unashamedly, cowardly in deserting him? Here's what had to happen. Something had to be made absolutely clear to them and to us tonight. It's this. Jesus alone is the Messiah. Jesus alone is the Savior. By being left all alone, we have no doubt that Jesus alone is the Savior. Imagine if um, Peter hadn't denied Jesus and had been crucified with Jesus. 
Imagine if all of those guys had stood trial with Jesus and been crucified on, crucified on crosses with him. We would wonder, so who was our savior? I reckon they'd probably start wondering, were we part of the whole saving the world thing, being crucified with Jesus, the Messiah? Jesus went to the cross alone because Jesus alone is the savior. And that puts an end to our savior complex. Sometimes I have these ridiculous conversations with my kids. Uh, so they have bikes, and their bikes are broken. And uh, so there I'm having a look at the bike to see if I can fix it. And uh, Lydia especially has these kind of conversations with me. She comes up and says, Daddy, what are you doing? I'm like, fixing your bike. Daddy, I want to help. Let me do it. Uh, it's, it's a little bit complicated fixing a bike. Daddy, I can do it. I can do it. So give her the spanner. Spanner. Mm. Hmm. Daddy, you fix it. <laughs> Basically how it goes. Guys, that's us with Jesus. That's the disciples here. Jesus, the Son of Man, must be handed over to the rulers, be killed, and three days later rise. I must give my life as a ransom for many. Us. Jesus, Jesus, I want to help. I can do it. Jesus, okay, try this. Don't fall asleep for one hour. Us. Jesus, Jesus, I can stop sinning. I can stop doing wrong. Watch. Jesus, I can fix this broken relationship. Jesus, I can run this ministry. Jesus, I can feel sorry enough and guilty enough to make God forgive me. Jesus, I can pray prayers that God won't be able to resist but answer. Jesus, I can win my friends into the kingdom. Jesus, I can save Vietnam. Jesus, I can do it. Then everyone deserted him. problem is, Jesus said, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. With all the willpower and good intention in the world, we can't scrub out the stains of our sin. We can't absolve our guilty consciences and remove our shame by just feeling really bad enough or doing good enough. We can't stand up for what is right. We can't fix society's problems. We can't save anyone else. Because we're weak, plain and simple, weak. Notice in verse 27, right, right at the beginning, when Jesus first said they'd fall away, he quotes the Old Testament from Zechariah 13. And so this is God speaking hundreds of years before Messiah came. Verse 27, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So in that prophecy, and I, I want you to answer, I'm about to ask a question, you can answer okay. In that prophecy, who is Jesus, do you think? Who is Jesus? The shepherd. Very good. Okay. Who are the disciples? The sheep. Who gets struck? The shepherd. Okay. So here's what's going on with the savior complex. The little, fluffy, stupid, grass-eating sheep. Wolf food is saying to the shepherd, I think we make a good team. I'll help you fight that wolf. But this makes it clear. We are sheep, not the shepherd. And the shepherd gets struck by the Lord to save the sheep 
and the sheep's contribution is to run away. I am not the shepherd. He is. The Messiah complex is where we keep saying I when what we need to say is he, Jesus. And Peter had to learn that. I will die with you, Jesus. I will not fall away. And what this passage teaches us is that the only real hope for us and for anyone else is to stop saying I and start saying he. Jesus alone can push through the garden and say yes to the cup of wrath to be drunk all the way down the cross. He alone can be crucified to pay the price for our sin. I can't pay for my sin. I can't remove my shame. I can't defeat death. He can. He alone is the Son sent from the Father, the mighty Messiah, the compassionate King, with not an ounce of selfish ambition in his heart, but love for his Father and love for his enemies. See, there's a problem with having a Messiah complex and being a follower of Jesus. It's this. He's actually the Messiah. Jesus alone, Jesus alone in his death and resurrection. That's the whole point. Jesus alone can be our savior. Let's bring this home in a couple of ways. Let's move. Okay. First up, Jesus alone can save us. It's really good being back in London. And my favorite museum in London is the Museum of London, which if you've not been to, you should. And outside the Museum of London at Aldersgate, there's a huge metal sculpture of a kind of flame-shaped page. And it commemorates the place where a man called John Wesley became a Christian. You might not have heard of John Wesley. Um, he's, a, he's a really famous kind of preacher from the 18th century. So th this spot outside the Museum of London is where he became a Christian. The thing is... He'd been a minister and a missionary for 10 years before that point. And today, you would not meet a man more passionate and committed to holiness than John Wesley in those 10 years before that moment. He would put us to shame with the seriousness which, with which he took the law of God. But do you know how, how he would later describe what kind of Christian he was back then? An almost Christian. That's what he described it as, an almost Christian. Because there was one fundamental reality Wesley just hadn't seen, but he did see one night in a Bible study at Aldersgate. Grace. Wesley was on Team Messiah, pastor, missionary, but with a problem that made him an almost Christian. He hadn't learned to stop saying I and start saying he. Wesley, he worked himself into the ground trying to be his own holy savior. This is what he says. This is from his journal. About a quarter before nine, while the preacher was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was giving me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. 
Do you hear the change? Wesley, in his heart, felt the reality that our passage has put before us tonight. Christ alone went to be the Savior. Christ alone saved me, he said. Maybe tonight, maybe you're an almost Christian. You're taking Christianity very seriously, taking your morality very seriously. But tonight, Jesus has exposed a problem that stops us from actually being saved. We first need to realize we cannot save ourselves. But he can. He did. He will. So tonight, give up saying I and start saying he. A lot of us are Christians, but actually half the time we act like we're, we're almost Christians. Either we're pretty pleased with ourselves, the way we're continuing, uh, contributing our good effort to team salvation, or we're, we're broken because of how bad we are at it. See, having, our savior com- having a savior complex doesn't always mean we feel really good about ourselves. In my personal experience of being an addicted savior complex person, it's a roller coaster of emotion. One day I'm really happy and high because I'm doing a great job for Jesus. And then the next moment I'm down because I've stuffed up Team Messiah self salvation project. That's almost Christianity. But what Jesus is offering is here is so much better it's freedom. It's freedom. The freedom that comes from stop saying I, either an I of shame, God could never have me, or an I of self-confidence, surely he wants me, to start saying he. He was crushed for my transgression. He was bruised for my iniquities. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. From beginning to end, Jesus has done it all for us. We, sheep, just receive it. Jesus alone can save us. That's good news. Second up, Jesus alone can save the world. Jesus alone can save the world. So can I tell you how much tonight we want to come back to the Globe Church and tell you all how awesome we've been in Vietnam so that you'll keep supporting us and really love us. And we genuinely praise God for the things he has been able to do for us, which is more than we ever expected. But it's also really important for you to know just how incompetent we are. So let me share a story with you. Uh, this was fairly early on. I went to buy a jacket. This is like a, for, for riding a motorbike, you, you have a special jacket. And uh, in the shop where I went, there were only um, jackets for ladies. And so I kind of went up to it and I, I beckoned over the, the, the lady who worked there and I pointed to this and then I, Pointed to myself, um, John Yufukner. John Yufukner. She looked at me. Kainai, this. John Yufukner. Yufukner means woman. So I've been saying this for a woman. For a woman. And she looked at me strange. And I kept saying, Toila Yufukner, I'm a woman. (laughs) Oh, no. I'm not a woman. We're really quite incompetent, okay? But more seriously, 
I quickly realized that one of the flaws in our plan with Globe Church to serve in Vietnam, the worst flaw was me. See, the thing is, when you get on the plane, they let you take your sinful heart with you. The greatest challenge these last few years has been my sin. Seeing it in ugly ways in a new environment. Seeing the detriment that I am to others and feeling helpless to deal with. But the greatest discovery of these last two years has been Jesus alone. God is still breaking my self-savior complex and my savior of others complex. But the healing isn't greater self-confidence or envisioning our impact for the kingdom. The healing and the hope to actually be useful for his kingdom in Vietnam is to stop saying I and start saying he. He alone can change me. He alone can help us learn language and make friends. He alone can help weak us to do some real good for the church in Vietnam and for the lost. And as much as we want to come to Vietnam to serve, we need our brothers and sisters in Vietnam to serve us with the grace of Jesus. This Jesus, the Jesus of Mark 14, alone in the garden, alone at the cross, he alone can build his church in Vietnam. He alone can bring light where there's darkness. And I hope you know it's the same for you here in London. You had vision night the other week. I hope you can look back at the last five years, six years, what God has done and freely, happily say, he did it. And as you look forward with all its complexities and all its challenges and excitements, I hope that you can deconstruct the savior complex. The Globe Church is the hope for London. That's rubbish. Much more, hope, more hopeful for London and liberating for you is he can do it. You know, Jesus is really kind. He doesn't go to the cross with his arm folded and basically go, well, okay, you lot can't do it, so I'll go and be your savior. That's not his heart. Right back in scene one, he leaves a clue to the future, and it's really important we spot it. He lets on that his disciples have a future despite what they're about to do to him. It's in verse 28. But after I have risen, hello, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. You will all fall away. But after I have risen, wait, risen? Yes, my death won't be the end. I will go ahead of you to Galilee. In other words, I will see you again. Just let that sink in. And let it sink in especially if you look at the story of Peter and his betrayal and you think, that's me. I've ditched Jesus. Would he ever have me back? I will see you again in Galilee. Jesus led on, has led on that there's grace to come for cowards and deserters like Peter and us because he died and rose because we're like that. And when we discover the freedom of not saying I, but saying he, Jesus has a future for us. Us. You believe it? 
a future where he gives us gifts and actually uses us in his world, in London, in Vietnam, or wherever, to share with people what we've discovered, the life-giving grace of Jesus alone. So let's pray and praise him for this grace. Let's pray. Father God, you lay us bare in these pages. We would all love to pretend that we are awesome, brilliant Christians, mini messiahs who are doing a pretty good job of it. But you know us much better than that. Even if we can't see it ourselves, we are screw-ups, sinful and shameful, more than we can even see ourselves, we're so deluded. But we praise you that that is why you sent your son, because we couldn't fix ourselves and we cannot remake this world, but you yourself can, only you. So Lord Jesus, thank you that you came and that you pushed through the garden. And even though your closest friends betrayed and deserted you, you went to the cross. You went to die, even though you could see exactly what that would mean to drink the punishment that we in this room deserve because of our sin and shame. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you drank it all down. Thank you, Jesus, that you went alone for us. And Lord Jesus, we put all our hope in you. And tonight, together, we want to say, we are not our own saviors. We are not the saviors of anyone else. Jesus, it's you alone. You are all we have. You are all we proclaim. You are all we need. And we thank you that tonight, despite even our betrayal of you, you open your arms to us to welcome the prodigal home. We praise you that you have tonight shown us your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.